Good afternoon and welcome to the DMA Politics Podcast. My name is Michael Storick and I'm the Public Affairs Manager here at the DMA. And sitting here with me in the central headquarters of the DMA in central London is John Mitchison, the Director of Policy and Compliance. How are you doing, John? I'm very well, yeah. Good, good stuff, good stuff. It's been a while since we've been on the same podcast together. It's a while since we've seen each other. I know, that's it? true, that's true. Um, if you don't know, I, I'm now based in Scotland, as it happens, and kind of yo-yoing between... London and Scotland, where um, various exciting things uh, in politics and the DMA in general are happening. Yeah, and of um, course you've been at the uh, the festival, no doubt. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's absolutely nuts at the moment. Did you know last year the po- so the population ordinarily in Edinburgh is five point four, uh, five hundred forty thousand. Right. Last year in August it hit one point five million. <laughs> yeah. Which, I know it's the it's the biggest um, arts event or sort of like theatrical. Uh, it's the biggest in the world. If you combine all the all the separate festivals together, mm-hmm. it is the world's largest ticketed event. Is it? Yeah, apparently. Although I don't know, maybe there's some sort of mass Chinese. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Chinese New Year in Beijing must be pretty yeah, big, I guess. But well. yeah, <laughs> who knows? Um, anyway, so uh, we're not here to talk about the festivals uh, as much, but uh, the uh, continuing saga that is British politics and. Since we are the, at the last pod, last podcast, we were sitting in Edinburgh with um, uh, Faraz and Rob from DMA Scotland, and it was the day before Boris Johnson was declared the victory of the Conservative Party uh, leadership contest, which means we do now have Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, which many people, including ourselves, did not think was a likelihood at all this time last year. Nonetheless, that's where we are in these crazy political times. Um, so it's now near enough a month into his premiership. Um, there have been a few bits and bobs on the road. Not much has happened. Parliament is in recess, which means that the polit- politicians are in their constituencies or are getting a bit of uh, respite from, their, uh, from the past six months. But uh, it, nothing's happening in Parliament, which some people say is extraordinary. Indeed, there's been a petition by over 100 MPs to bring them back to get on with Brexit, basically. Um, it, it, it does seem quite ludicrous, doesn't it, at, at what you would think would be the most intense mm. uh, period of politics in years. Yeah. That Pro- everybody goes on holiday. Absolutely. And yeah, probably the 60 more, days before, yeah. <laughs> before <laughs> chaos ensues. <laughs> and probably the more ludicrous thing is that they come back on the 3rd, or I think 2nd or 3rd of September, and then have two weeks in Parliament, and then they go on holiday again. <laughs> uh, and that's for a party conference season, which, which, to be fair, is a staple, an integral part of the British political calendar. Nonetheless, it does come at a fairly unhelpful yeah. time. I, th- I, think, I think some politicians might uh, dispute your word holiday for the, true. You know, for the party season. This is true, <laughs> yeah. this is true. Um, although, having been there last year and going there this year, um, the quantities of booze that flows round, all of them is somewhat <laughs> astonishing so uh, if you ever get the chance to go do do um, go along but prepare your liver um, so yes we've had we've had a fair fair bit happening and um, it's been well yeah an extraordinary first month of Boris Johnson premiership um, well I, I was just going to pick you up on that because mm-hmm. like you said I mean he's he's been in uh, he's been in power for a month mm-hmm. Um, and I see him on the front page of the papers and on the radio every day, but I can't think of anything really substantial that has resulted. No, and this is all part of the, the sort of honeymoon period that every Prime Minister gets as soon as they enter office. Pre- Theresa May had quite a big one where she could um, well, 
talk, talk quite a lot, well, talk about anything she wanted and everyone would love her for it. Um, and this is the same with Boris, and he's, as we all know, he's a very good PR man, he knows what to say, he knows how to get the crowd responding to him, uh, and it's very much about the posturing towards Brexit to try and make the EU cave uh, on their position and perhaps uh, capitulate towards the UK a bit more. So yeah, he, he's basically trying to build himself up, build his government up, and of course he's hired Dominic Cummings, who was the... Uh, coordinator of the uh, Leave campaign and the one who famously worked with um, various companies who have since um, closed on targeting adverts oh, on yeah. various social media sites. Okay. Uh, so that, that, he that has this company indeed, nobody talks about indeed yeah. yes, the, the mastermind of the Leave <laughs> campaign, Dominic Cummings, who is, has a very uh, stringent media strategy, we've been reliably, reliably told. So Boris Johnson was on the TV the other day and he said that the previous government hadn't actually suggested the alternatives to the backstop as any serious um, alternative to what was on the table. Theresa May had never formally proposed so the they just, technological... So they just accepted it, basically, is what you Well, no, well they, they just didn't consider it as a serious option. So Boris Johnson's saying that we've had this talk about, you know, um, using technology and a, a sort of um, staggered border and yep. you know various things happen at various points hundreds of miles away from the border um, as alternatives but they weren't seriously considered during the Brexit process, uh, the negotiation progress last time so he's saying what he will do is seriously suggest them. <laughs> so, <laughs> But um, the EU has been pretty pretty clear on their position here they're not going to mm. reopen negotiations yeah they, they did a deal a while ago um, and uh, that's it. There's yeah. to it. There's maybe a small crack beginning to show because Boris Johnson yesterday, or the day before yesterday, was meeting Angela Merkel and yesterday met uh, Emmanuel Macron. And it's debated in the media because no one's quite sure about the translation of what Angela Merkel said. But in essence, she either said, we have 30 days to work something out, or you have 30 days to propose something new. Oh, OK. So, um, <laughs> There was various, yeah, exactly. It's either her suggesting that oh, we could, you know, work something out together, reopen over the next thirty days, which some of the media jumped on, but in actuality, um, it might not as, be that. Yes, because the EU have this reputation, don't they, for holding out, you know, and holding mm -hmm. firm until the very last minute, yeah. and then suddenly renegotiating everything, sort of like in the middle of the night, you know, with moments to go. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you think that is the sort of thing that might happen, or do you think because you know this is a big deal? everybody I know that they say you know in Europe it may well it may well be a pain for countries in Europe mm -hmm. but not nearly as big a pain as it's going to be yeah. for Britain and they I don't think that they can show any weakness if they suddenly start doing deals with us mm -hmm. you know, there are other countries uh, in the EU that you know there are certain rumblings there yeah. you know, certain countries are getting a bit euro skeptic as, yeah. you know different people are being um, elected yes what do you think? Well, yeah, this is this is maybe the other side of it. There's maybe a good good cop bad cop play going on here. If Angela Merkel was being slightly more generous in her language the other day, Emmanuel Macron yesterday was very much hard up. No, there's no possibility of reopening negotiations. This is the deal. Take it or leave it. Okay. And purely in examination of the personality, you might think that yes, Macron is the kind of person who would say at the end of the day, stuff it, stuff these guys. We will go for no deal. It will hurt them more than it will hurt us even though it will hurt France fairly substantially, yeah. but he could be the kind of person that would well, I th I say think there's a lot I think there's a lot riding on it in the EU. Mm. EU countries can't be seen to be soft on this. No, not at all, not at all. And that's 
Yeah, and I think that's partially why everyone jumped on the possibility that there was these 30 days that Angela Merkel may or may not have suggested. But uh, that remains to be seen. But certainly the onus is on the British government to suggest alternatives, even though that they previously said it's up to the EU to kind of come back with an alternative. So, again, it's back to that age-old debate, is this posturing or is this a government that's actually willing and committed to go to no deal in spite of all the economic analysis and, and whatnot that says this is... Apocalyptic warnings. Yeah, apocalyptic warnings. And I don't think that's a sort of politically controversial thing to say. It seems to be the <laughs> academic consensus of the evaluations of the outcomes of no deal. And that's something that's... Um, will be the topic of conversation certainly this weekend because it's also the, the G7 summit which is a summit between Italy, France, Germany, Japan, the UK, Canada and the US so they will be gathering in France this weekend for a, a lovely uh, well conference spa thing and they'll have, a, have relaxing chats about uh, what's going on in the world of, of politics. So the G7 summit this time is a little different mainly because normally there's one large geopolitical issue that dominates the agenda, but there's a couple that are on the table this time. The first, as you might have heard, is the burning of that Amazon rainforest, uh, which is a climactic event of pretty horrific Fairly proportions. Serious, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the second, which is slightly more relevant to our industry, is uh, the debate around the proposed digital services taxes that are, well, one has been put in place in France and it has also been proposed in the United Kingdom and aims to come into effect in 2020, in April 2020. And in essence, this is a, a granted fairly small taxation on the social media behemoths of, uh, of mainly the US, who of course gather data and make profits from having yeah. customers who use their websites in every country of the world. So it's a sort of an attempt by countries to kind of reclaim a bit of that capital the fact that their citizens are online and using these platforms and those com companies are largely making money elsewhere from that. So that everyone's kind of trying to, trying to claim a bit of that back. I can, I, can, I can see what the likes of France and the UK are trying to do here, exactly like you said. Mm. These are huge American companies um, and they're trying to reclaim a bit of, of what they think is rightly theirs because yeah. the business is being done in their country. But I can also see why the US wouldn't be happy with it because it's just, you know, a tax that has been invented especially um, you know to put pressure on them yeah. to put some kind of pain on them even though it's only small there was um, mm. I was listening to some guys on the radio earlier this week who were talking about this and what they were doing is they were comparing the tax that was being paid by um, the House of Fraser right. uh, as opposed to the amount of tax that was being paid in the UK by, um, by Amazon mm -hmm. and the, the solution was to uh, increase the tax on Amazon whereas you know, I thought that maybe what we should be doing actually is decreasing the burden uh, on the likes of the UK companies like the House of Fraser, mm. who are you know the stalwarts of the high street, who yeah. are constantly under pressure because of all the taxes and the you know and the loss of revenue and um, you know, people interacting with them, you know, because of the likes of Amazon and all. The Absolutely, the sort of death of the high street and narrative and yeah. Yeah. It just seemed more sensible to me that rather than penalise the, 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 the newcomers, maybe yeah. we should help out the ones in our own backyard. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And I think that's the sort of... Yeah, there's maybe two issues there that, yeah, there's the narrative around the high street struggling, struggling people don't shop in, well, on, on the street anymore, everyone gets their stuff online. And, you know, previously businesses could quite happily pay the taxes that they 
um, they were charged because that's where everyone got their everyone went to the shops to get their clothes etc but now things like business rates and well, just general taxation on on goods yeah. seems to be too overwhelming for the actual profits that people make so it's sort of interesting that you know it's been the reason that those seem high now or the taxes seem high on sort of high street shops is because of their decline whereas you know maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, they were probably all quite happy to pay that because they had the booming trade. Yeah. So maybe there's something to be said for, yeah, certainly because of that decline, it makes sense to lift the burden on them. But, you know, you're also having a, a rise of, um, well, profit and, in the kind of online sphere, and that, that is largely on tax at the moment. And you yeah. know, maybe there is something we should be doing to kind of try and distribute that equally around the globe a bit more. Yeah, I, I mean, from... It's only a personal opinion, but I just mm. think that um, you know there's there's more to it than mm. just just a shop that is either making money or not. Yeah, money. yeah, no, um, absolutely. You know, there's there is that whole centre of a town mm. thing going on, and it supports a local community yep. and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true, and that's very interesting. And this, well, this is the the, the other interesting aspect of this is because post Brexit, the UK is essentially trying to pivot towards well, global Britain, which, which in reality means towards the US and towards a US trade deal. And insofar as Mr Trump is in power, we know that he will have no, uh, no hesitation at demanding things like the digital service tax be taken away completely in order to get, otherwise you might say there's no deal whatsoever with uh, with the UK and the US trade deal if you don't repeal this tax. So Yeah, and he doesn't shy away from a trade war, does he? No, no, not at all. And <laughs> um, Yeah, if you're going to pick a fight with China and offer to buy Greenland, I don't think a digital service tax is going <laughs> to do much to, <laughs> to get in your way. Yeah, really. um, so yeah, okay. that, 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 that could be an issue of how the UK tries to square up its digital sectors in the future because so far it's been... Uh, we would say a really positive force within the EU at driving good regulation in what, data protection and uh, what, digital issues. Um, it's been one of the, the key voices, partially, partially because the language of the internet is English and a lot of innovation happens here. And it's one of the the ICO is one of the, the best funded regulators in Europe, probably the best funded regulator in Europe. And so it has a lot of power to actually examine what's going along and create good legislation. And that's something that the EU has benefited from so far. And something the, that the UK wants to keep in tow with the EU after we leave. We want to, we still will have GDPR in, enshrined as the Data Protection Act 2018. We still want to keep these standards. But if we're trying to pivot to the rest of the world, other countries might not be so keen to keep these standards and say that oh actually we yeah. don't we are but we can't ask this of our these of our businesses we don't have the infrastructure for all the businesses to conform to all your standards we need you to drop them in order for us to have a constructive relationship and that could be we could kind of be caught in this yeah that's seesaw going to be an interesting of, situation yeah and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the UK pitches itself yeah. post Brexit and that'll be again a line in the sand of where where we are in the next the next stage of. Well, this the the world. <laughs> Whatever happens, the next chapter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much what's been on the cards. In the in the next few weeks, we have what what week are we at? I can't even remember the date at the moment. It's the twenty something, twenty third of August. Uh, Parliament is back week after next, and then. Well, that, this is the other the other thing we haven't even touched upon, which I'll just chat briefly. The Labour Party, the, the leader of the opposition, Jeremy. I was going to say Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best you never, know, you the never know how many votes he yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeremy Corbyn says he's going to almost immediately uh, 
suggest that we have a, a vote of no confidence in the government and there is talks and ums and ahs about who will side with Jeremy Corbyn in that vote of no confidence because theoretically that could be Boris Johnson's government over in two weeks. Yeah, that would almost be a shame, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> we'll um, see. But, I mean, there is certainly uh, the possibility of a general election uh, looming. Definitely. Um, how, how do you think that's... How is that going to play out? Is that going to... Yeah. Is that going to come about as a result of um, a no-confidence issue? So that's that's one of the options. There could be a no-confidence vote. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn installed as a temporary prime minister who agrees an extension with the EU and then calls a general election to kind of, you know, throw everything up, on air, up yeah. in the air again and see where it all lands. Um, th- or there could be Boris Johnson might... Uh, he might win the vote of no confidence and carry on and go either for a Brexit deal or no deal and then it is unquestionable that after that he will call a general election probably in November because the Conservatives are polling very high, well not very highly but they're uh, Labour, yeah higher than Labour Uh, Labour are absolutely bombing so Boris Johnson would be absolutely ludicrous not to call a general election because he could bolster his position in Parliament quite substantially and be the great Churchillian leader to whom he, he strives to be. He wants to yes, be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Exactly. So, yeah, it could be, well, months of the most exciting periods of British politics yet again, even after all this. So, well, I can't wait. Indeed, indeed. It's never a dull moment. Of course, it's not. Both in DMA House and in the House of Parliament. Always. It's <laughs> never a dull moment. So, we will, uh, we will leave you with that. Thank you very much for listening. And if you want to get in contact with us, uh, John and I are both on email. It's firstname.lastname at dma.org.uk. You'll be able to find us very easily on the website. Anything that you see article-wise, policy-wise, do get in touch, and we're very happy to chat through any questions and uh, give any advice on uh, on the things that are happening at the moment. Um, please use the hashtag DMAPollPod if you want to tweet us, if you've had a listen and have any questions, and you can get the DMA account at DMA underscore UK. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.